Live from the Business Radio X studio in Atlanta, it's time for Dental Business Radio. Brought to you by Practice Quotient. Practice Quotient bridges the gap between the provider and payer communities. Now here's your host, Patrick O'Rourke. Hello there, friends of the dental business community. This is your host, Patrick O'Rourke. I am thrilled to be here. I'd like to thank our sponsor. That would be me, the host of Dental Business Radio. We're our own entity and we have our own opinions. And um, so if you are have any trouble with our opinions, please send an email to feedback at dentalbusinessradio.com and our sponsor will get right back to you. All right. So with <laughs> me as always... I'm going to start using that in the intro of all my podcasts. Yeah, feel free to appropriate. Uh, With me is Gary Bird. Uh, Now, Gary Bird, I have to say, this is the first time that you and I had met or talked, right, today. And so I know that you have something to do with marketing. And I I know that for more than because that's what it said on a little piece of paper. (laughs) But the somehow, it's sort of like... uh, you know, when one of your friends buys a car that you weren't really familiar with, like the Kia Telluride, and then you see the Tellurides everywhere, like all of a sudden, I'm getting Gary Bird everywhere. Like I'm <laughs> to Gary Bird on Instagram, Gary Bird's on, on Facebook, Gary Bird's on LinkedIn. Like there's a nativity scene next door. And I'm like, Gary Bird's one of the three wise men. Like what, what's going Gary Bird's everywhere. So um, with that, I'd like to welcome our audience to Gary Bird. And I'm going to let Gary explain what he does to be all over the place. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks so much for having me on. I'm excited to have this conversation today. And yeah, my name is Gary. I'm the CEO of SMC National. We are a dental marketing agency that helps group practices have predictable new patient flow so that they can grow the way that they they want to. And um, yeah, as far as uh, my being everywhere, our all of my social media is curated to be around. If you're into agencies, growing agencies, or if you are in the dental industry. If once you touch something that's related to those two things, more than likely, I'm going to be popping up in front of you. What do you mean by agency? Uh, Just marketing agencies. I have a a community that we've built of uh, about 500 marketing agencies. Um, We've we've had some good success in growing our agency. We've been on the Inc. 5000 list twice. Um, We're one of the larger uh, uh, agencies out there. And we're, I think, one of the bigger um, dental marketing agencies. And so... We, uh, I have people reach out to me all the time. So, so somebody might start an agency for car lots or a marketing agency for um, some other vertical. And they'll say, Gary, how'd you grow your agency? And I was, I always like to help people. So I was mm-hmm. like, hey, let's hop on a call. And it got to the place where I was like, every week I was spending hours hopping into these Zoom meetings. Finally, I just said, you know what? I have this community. You can hop into it and it's free. I have a mastermind. I'll help you if you come to that mastermind. Mm-hmm. So we have, we have, it turned in and it got really big, really fast. Um, so it's not my business. I don't make money off of it. Um, but it is my way of kind of giving back to people who are trying to grow their agencies. I think that's awesome. Helping people. Um, part of the reason why I do what I do. Uh, it's probably, you know, one of the reasons why you started your, your business, I would imagine. Um, so um, it's pretty impressive. hundred, uh, you have a hundred team members, I think you said over at SMC. Mm-hmm. And so you went, there's a, there's a bit of a learning curve, I think, or at least for me, when people were like, Hey, Pat, it's going to, it's five years. You know, if I take you five years, I was like five years now, I'm going to have that too. Five years later, I was, I was like, now I understand what they're saying. Yeah. Um, and I'm definitely not a hundred employees. So to kind of walk me through the, the, the growth trajectory. Um, and because this is dental business radio, let's just talk about yeah. business ownership at first. Yeah. Let's talk about that. So I think that there's, I think that five-year thing is like to become an expert at something. Right. And I think it's like 10,000 hours or something like that. And of course that's very broad, but the way I look at business is there's three stages. So first you have, and, and I'll, I'll relate this to dental. So so first okay. you have to become good at the thing. So I became really good at marketing. And for dentists, you have to become really good at being a dentist. And that's the technician phase. So you dive into this skill and you just throw yourself into it. And you don't do it in school, right? School is not where that happens. It happens when you actually have real world experience. And any dentist will tell you that. Any marketer will tell you that. And this applies. You could apply this to anything, right? And so mm-hmm. then you become really good at that thing. But then there's the next stage. And the next stage is actually a new skill set. 
it has almost nothing to do with the first skill set. And that's the entrepreneur stage. So this is where you figure out, oh, I, I need to actually figure out how to be profitable and turn this into a business, go out on my own. And there's a whole world that you have to learn around that. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people, for me, at least, I took it for granted. I was like, no, I'm a good marketer. So of course, I'm an amazing entrepreneur. Wrong, <laughs> right? Like, right, that's yes. not true. Now I have to spend yeah, yeah. 10,000 more hours learning that entrepreneurship. Then the next stage, and this is the one that throws everybody off, because a lot of people can see the relation between the technician and the entrepreneur, is the leader. If you really want to grow, it doesn't matter if you're a good dentist or not. If you really want to grow, it doesn't matter if you're a good entrepreneur or not. Like, yeah, you had to be good to get through those stages, but those are like old, old hat now. You have to actually learn how to be a leader. And I think that's the hardest one out of the bunch um, because you, it's a lot of humbling and realizing that you can't do it by yourself. And that I call it like, uh, I've heard, actually, I, I stole this from somebody else. It's like, you can't be in superhero mode anymore. So when I was a small marketing agency and we had 10 employees, I was a superhero. I was showing up, fixing all the problems, getting dopamine hits every single day because Gary, you're so awesome. But when you get to you know 50 people or 100 people, you can't do that. You, literally, you become the bottleneck. And so now you have to take a step back and say, you know, I can't solve your, all the problems. I need to set other people up for success and they need to solve the problems. And how do I develop leaders? And that's super hard. And uh, that's something that that's the stage that I'm at right now. I have not mastered it. I am very much an infant at it, but I am learning every single day. I think that's, that's awesome. And that's a very brutal honesty uh, as well, right? So we're smaller. um, And I mean, you hit the nail on the head and that's, it's really interesting. It's like what, Sometimes I think that the docs out there, the dentists, and I'll speak for myself too, is that, you know, you're, you're trying to figure out a way to clone yourself, but you can't clone yourself, but you, you just need to empower other folks, you know, give them the skill sets. And for me, I want to hire folks smarter than me. Now that that's a low bar, right? I'll give it to you, you know, <laughs> but uh, that's, that's where I, I try to go. And I like to have a lot of different types of people because what I've learned, especially recently is that some of the the younger folks, well, they don't get my Jerry Maguire references, help me help you. They look at me like I'm from another planet, um, but they're really gifted at things that I, I flummox me, you know, from t- a technology standpoint in particular. Um, so, I, but it takes time sometimes to figure that out with that person, Um and you got to build some rapport and trust. And this is just my experience. And this is your, this is your show. So that, that's been my experience. And if you're in the infant stage, I'm way behind you. Um, and so I want to learn as you made this realization, then what? How do you build the culture at SMC? Yeah. So let me start by saying I've one way to build culture the way I did it was um, do it all the wrong way. So you know what horrible feels like and then do it. So that way now you actually have a bar and a meter to move towards, but where entrepreneurs usually get hung up on culture and, and especially like even dentists, because dentists are very analytical is that how do you measure a feeling? Cause culture is really a feeling, right? So like in the marketing world, we have lead generation. That's what we do. We provide leads. You can measure everything. So I can put up an ad, measure a click, move over to a phone call, get the phone call to turn into a patient. The patient walks in. How much treatment did they buy? How many family members did they bring with them? How many times did they come back? We can measure that end to end. It's very, very uh, analytical heavy, and you can see the result or the lack thereof. On the flip side, branding of your business is a feeling. It's an emotion. It's a, it's, it makes you feel good. I feel great when I, when I buy this new Tesla or buy the new Apple product, right? It makes me feel this way. And that's much harder to quantify. And so when, when we talk about culture, a lot of times people are like, yeah, yeah, it's just this fluffy feeling. And that's what I used to think. It's just whatever. But what I realized I kept hitting a glass ceiling and I couldn't grow the business anymore because every time I tried to grow, I'd lose people. Um, and people try to t- give me feedback and I just wasn't having it. And then one day I finally realized like, maybe I'm the problem. Maybe, it, maybe there's something to this and I keep ignoring it because I see it everywhere. 
And so I'm going to give it a try and I'm going to take 100% responsibility and say the reason I'm not growing is because of me, not because of everybody else. And I'm going to make this this company an amazing place to work at where I love showing up every day, where before I didn't love showing up to my own company every single day, right? Mm-hmm. And so how do I make this place a great place to to work? And then how do I measure that? And so there's actually ways you can measure culture. So there's two things that we do. And again, this is humbling. So this is where it goes into the leadership part. And it, and you have to be open to being wrong and failing. And that's an uncomfortable thing to go through. So one mm-hmm. thing that we do is every week we measure a pulse score. So a pulse score is how are you feeling on a scale to one to five? And then we have a one-on-one check-in with a leader. So every, everybody's being met with every single week. And, um, and then I watch that and I watch it by department. I watch the poll score by company-wide, and I also look into the people who aren't doing well. And what I explained to the team is, is that, look, a five is means you're amazing, four means you're really good, three is subpar, two is horrible, and one is couldn't be worse. And I want to know, and this is the number one question we always get, does this score mean just for work how am I feeling or overall? And I go, I want to know overall how you're doing. If your kids are up sick last night, and and you had to stay up all night, I need to know that you're a two so we can come and support you. Otherwise, if you're like, well, work-wise, I'm a five, but home, I'm a one, I can't help you then. And you're going, your work is going to suffer if your kids are up sick all night, right? Mm-hmm. And so we we I, I try to be as transparent as possible that, look, we want these scores to be able to help you, support you. There's going to be hard times um, in your life, and we want to be there for you in those times to help you the best that we can. And on the flip side, when we're all doing, when we're doing great, everybody, you know, there's a, there are five, it's our job to help those that aren't doing great. So I try to keep that pulse score in the mid fours. And then when we drop below, you know, 4.3, 4.4 as a company, I know there's something that's causing that. And there's times where I have to do things that I know that it's going to cause that pulse score to go down. And I'm okay with that too, right? Like I have to tell people like, hey, this is going to be a hard time right here. We have to go through this. We have to do this hard thing. We have to change all of our systems or we have to lay a couple of people off over here because that department, you know, we're not going to have it anymore or whatever. And that does hurt the pulse score. So that's the first way that we measure it on a weekly basis. The other way that we measure it is uh, through an ENPS score. So a net promoter score. A lot of people are familiar with those. You get those surveys from your bank and everything like that. And it says on a scale to one to 10, how how likely would you be to refer to our company and you know refer refer a fam- friend or family to the company so we ask that of our employees how likely would you be to refer a friend or family to come work at SMC and we measure that every quarter so every quarter we roll those out and it's blind what blind means is that no one can see, we can't see who sent it in so at first everybody tests it right so people don't really give you their honest feedback <laughs> But then there's somebody who does, and then they watch, and everybody watches and says, is that person's head going to roll because they said Gary doesn't know what he's doing or something like that? And so over time, though, they start to see, oh, they're actually just taking this information, and then they're making the company better with it. They're making it a better place to work. And we do that openly. So we share all the responses with the leadership team. We say, okay, what are the common responses that we're seeing, the common feedback? What's the positives and what's the negatives? And then how do we make the negatives better? It can we make them better? And we do that over and over and over and over and over again. And sometimes we strike out and sometimes we get it right. The point is, is that we're transparent with it. And and that makes SMC a great place to work. And so, um, and it's a team effort. I can't do it. I don't know how to fix a lot of the problems that we have. It's like our team has to work together to figure that out. So that's how we've built the culture of SMC. Um, I, I would also add to that because that's very analytical you actually have to care about people. (laughs) So um, a lot of times I tell people, they're like, I want to build an amazing culture. I'm like, you have to actually care for people. And what that (laughs) means, the the number one question I always get is like, what does that mean? Well, when your mom gets sick, what do you do? Well, I I call her. uh, I might send her some soup to help her feel better. Um, I ask her if there's anything she needs. I'm like, yeah, because you care for her. So you have to do that for your team. You, you have to ch- send them send them a message, tell them to take time off, send them some soup, send them a little note, and then let them know, hey, I'm here if you need anything. Like that, that's how you care for people. So um, that's that's how we, what we try to do at SMC. That's that's awesome. 
I like that a lot. So what, how long have you been doing the quarterly scores? A couple of years now, since COVID. COVID kind of kicked us into gear to make us reevaluate everything, right? Because mm-hmm. that was a good time to do that. So we've been doing it since COVID. Um, we also 5X'd our business that year. So that was a, a crazy year for us. Uh, COVID really uh, um, changed us as a company, changed me as a business person. Uh, it was it was It was pretty transformative. I concur. Nobody, uh, nobody alive has seen anything like that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and so it was definitely, uh, all right, hold up. <laughs> Let's There's no playbook. That. No. Um, yeah. but the one thing, I, you know, as an entrepreneur, I say to my clients and to, and to my team, I'm very transparent. Do like I'm direct. I'm, I like, I'm going to have to appropriate some of your stuff. Uh, but I like people to be direct with me too. Like, I'm not sent, I'm very sensitive. Um, you know, like I do have feelings, Gary. Don't get me yeah, wrong. Yeah, I yeah, just, yeah. I, you know, I want you to be able to tell me, you know, stuff and I won't fly off the handle. But it's, um, I'm like, you know what? We do know how to do <laughs> roll with the punches. And that's what we're going to do here. We're going to roll with the punches uh, and figure it out. And it's, you know, kind of, a, it was a little bit of a blessing in disguise. I think it, uh, it, um, it gives you an opportunity to get better. 5X, that's amazing. Yeah, well, um, we dropped by, our revenue dropped by 75% first. So I should probably share that. So so we went from here it. to here to up here, like in a, in a year's time. It was it was crazy, very stressful. But also, I learned more in that one year about business than any other time all put together just because it was so, everything happened so fast in a condensed time that mm-hmm. it just made me learn stuff that I, it was crazy. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, and if you have a good team, that way you have a good support system, you know, as well, because it's scary for them too. They give a scary for everybody. And yeah. so I think, you know, one of the things that sort of kind of looking at it from a macro perspective, one of the things that was disappointing to me, at least as we rolled on is that it wasn't like nine 11 where everybody came together it, it, so, somehow, you know, people are at home on the internet and then we started dividing as a community, but that's a whole nother topic. Um, the topic. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. So, though. Um, and, but what you guys were able to do is, you know, get everybody to come in together and everybody's supportive of each other. I think that's awesome. Um, so here's my, if you would share, feel free to say no, but, um, what do you think was like the toughest when you're cut the quarterly scores and you re- and they realize that they can do it and be brutally honest and nobody's going to, you know, chop off their head to use your words. Uh, they're not going to get fired or it's not going to be any discipline or any blowback. Um, so I actually, that's a good question. So yeah. I'll tell you the harshest comment. Right, that that's what I want to know. Yeah. 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 The harshest comment I've ever got was actually not in the EMPS. It was on Glassdoor. So you can go look us up on Glassdoor. It has all of our employees feedback on there. Mm-hmm. And, uh, it's like, it's kind of like a Yelp or a Google for businesses, right? It mm-hmm. um, shows what it looks like inside the business. Um, so Glassdoor, someone put on there, um, basically I ruined their life, right? Like as a leader and, um, and just like, that's not very nice. No, no, it wasn't. <laughs> and, 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 and it makes me feel horrible, right? Like I, I don't want to ruin anybody's life. I'm never like, that's not not in my DNA as a business person to like, I want to go out here and ruin people's life. So to hear that is like, it's crippling and it's hard and it takes a lot of, um, takes a lot of effort to look at yourself and say, okay, how did I contribute to this? And what, what didn't I contribute? Is this, is this, is this a, a fair statement? So what I did is I took that comment and I posted it everywhere on social media and then responded to it. <laughs> and uh, I got a ton of great feedback that really helped me with it. And so I just dealt with it line by line. I just said, you know what? You're right about that. I did do that. And that was wrong. I probably need to fix that. This is not fair. I, that's not an accurate uh, depiction. And you know what? I, I'm sorry that you feel that way, but that's not what actually happened from my perspective. This is something that I've already fixed. I was aware of this at the time. I've worked really hard at it, blah, blah. So I just literally went, went like line by line and uh, posted it on social media. And you know what? It took away a lot of the power from it um, because most people, it's like, how do I hide this? How do I delete it? I think dentists go through that a lot with their Google reviews, right? They'll get a bad Google review, 500 good Google reviews, and they'll get one scathing review about how they're horrible and their office is horrible. And they first reaction is, how do I remove it? 
But what I often tell them is, is how, how can we turn that into like the best review that you have? And they're like, how can we do that? And I go, to be honest with you, most people, if you have 500 Google reviews, most people are not looking at your good reviews first. They're looking at your bad reviews first, and then they're going to look at seeing how you respond to them. And my, and they, my evidence to that is go on Amazon, go buy something on Amazon right now and look at the reviews. What do you read first when they have 5,000 reviews? Read the bad reviews first, and then you want to see how the company interacts with them. And so for me, I, um, I say, hey, just respond to them and be kind to them. And be honest with them, but don't tear them apart. Don't violate HIPAA by by sharing any of their personal medical history or anything like that. And um, and then when people when people from your advertising come to your Google My Business and look at it, they're gonna go, "Oh, this person left a very mean comment. That wasn't nice of them." But look how the office responded. How nice! And they said, "Hey, we really want to make this right. Give us a call." Patient will probably never call because they hate you know they're mad or whatever. But that's not the point. It's the point is, is the hundreds of people that are going to read that comment. So why not turn it into a positive rather than trying to hide it and, 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 and try to get rid of it when often you can anyway. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's, I, I like that. That's a good segue into marketing and uh, kudos to you. It's uh, fairly brave to do. Did you have, while you were reading all the comments, social media on, you know, all the a-hole things that you did, um, was there somebody there that with Kleenex um, or a supportive pillow or, you know, a hug it's, or something it's crazy. So I thought I'm like, okay, I'm going to do this. And this goes one of two ways. And so I was mentally trying to prepare for it. I'm going to post this negative review about myself. And I'm going to, uh, in some cases, defend myself in some cases, um, take ownership. Um, and so this is either, everybody's going to be like, Hey, that was stupid of you. You, sh- you shouldn't have done that. And there's going to be negative backlash or people are going to be like, Hey, bravo. Um, I've gotten a negative review before. I've had to deal with it. I love the way you're taking it head on and great, great job. I, I don't remember how many people responded to it. I, I don't want to say the wrong number. But there was a lot. Um, almost all of it was positive. Almost everybody was like, dude, this is awesome. And then, and then I also got clients from it. So I had a lot of clients that came to us and said, hey, Gary, I followed you on social media for a long time. I just love how you're transparent. So I know if... If you're this open about like people personally attacking you, I know as a marketing company, I'm going to be able to work with you. So um, that it, it turned out to be a huge positive. I again, I I find great. I love taking things that normally that we would look at and say this is uh, I, we lose our power or we lose you know ownership and saying how can I take ownership back? How can I be the, the owner of this? And I'm really big into like extreme ownership where it's like everything everything's on me. And so if someone does something to me, it's up to me and how I respond to it. That's going to dictate how the rest of my day is going to go. Almost like a stoic, stoic philosophy. There's some, yeah, there's some stoicism in there. There's uh, definitely some like, uh, um, there's a guy named uh, Jacko. um, He's a Marine. He wrote a book on extreme ownership. Um, Yeah, there's, there's a lot of different ways you can look at it. Gotcha. So that kind of segues into let's go into marketing. So one of the things that I preach to my clients, um, all my clients are similar. We might even have some mutual clients. I don't know. Um, and I, all of our clients are kind of top tier, you know, general dentists and specialists and, um, you know, the PPOs that they're on or the networks that they're on, you know, essentially what I preach is like, it's outsourced marketing here. Like what's happening is like, you have Gary Bird. And so then, you know, ABC insurance company says, Hey, Hey, you know, Gary Bird, DDS family group, whatever, you know, it says, Hey, um, you know, usually you charge a hundred dollars for this. Uh, you know, you give us a big discount. Uh, we'll pay you 60 bucks and then we're going to put you on our website woo-hoo, with dozens of other names of SoCal. Um, and then we're going to route patients your way. Uh, it, so is there value in that, particularly if you're in a managed care friendly area like California? Yes. Uh, now, how much does it cost? Right? Yeah, 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 yeah. That's the hard part. So what I would say is to answer that is what is your vision? Right. So what are you, where are you trying to go? So I I think what happens a lot of times is we answer, we want marketing or we want consultants to answer tough questions for us. And they really can't, they can give you their opinion, but it doesn't actually, if you're going in the opposite direction, it's not very helpful. Right. So the worst Mm -hmm. thing you can ever do is come to a marketing company and say, 
hey, how much money should I spend? Or how should I market my business? Because they're just going to tell you what their side of expertise is. Where, where I, what I'm a big believer in is everything, everything starts and finishes with clinical. So you start at clinical and you say, what kind of practice do I want to have? What kind of treatment do I want to do? And then you work out to operations. So inside of your business, you have clinical and then you have operations and operations is, do we have the capacity to see these kind of patients? Do we have the training to see these kind of patients? Right? So let Mm -hmm. me give you an example. If you're a GP office and you say, Hey, I want to do full arch now. I'm, I'm a dentist and I'm amazing at full arch and I want to start doing that. Well, you can't just plug it in you, operationally. You cannot. It's not possible. So what's going to happen is, is you're going to get the first full arch call and they're going to go, hey, how much do you guys charge for, uh, you know, for full arch? I've already been to four dentists. I already got all this, you know, their dental IQ is going to be higher than your front desk person on the subject. And your front desk person is going to be like, ah, and you're going to lose them. Mm-hmm. And you don't, you don't realize you just, you just plugged a, a, uh, the, the best analogy I can use for this is like you own a car factory and you build gas powered cars and then you switch to making battery operated cars, but you didn't change any of your equipment. You didn't change any of your, your, your procedures. You still make cars. Well, that's not possible. Like you have to do a full overhaul to be able to make that switch. And it's the same with dental. So you start with the clinical. You move to operations. Can we, do we have enough bandwidth? Do we have availability on our schedule? Are we trained to be able to, to take care of these kind of patients and get them in? Then you go to marketing. Mm-hmm. Everybody does it the other way around. And it's just, it's a recipe for failure. Basically, you're going to fail if you do it the other way around. And that's why a lot of people have bad taste in for marketing companies. Not to say that there's not bad marketing companies. Of course there is, just like there's bad dentists. But if you do it the other way around, you have the right you have the right questions to be able to ask the marketing company, and you know what you're actually looking for, and then you know how to measure success. So that's that's what like the insurance question for some people. It's amazing. I've seen people build amazing organizations around insurance. For some people, it's horrible, and it doesn't work for them. And it it and so it's really getting clear on where you want to go. What are you actually building? And clinically, what do you want to attract? What kind of patients you want to attract? I think that's a terrific answer. Uh, it's there's no one size fits all solution on on payers on your payer network strategy, which is just to me one component of your overall marketing strategy. Yep. And I say it all the time. I'm like, listen, I'm not the marketing guy, but I just did the math or anything. So you may not think that you're like, oh, you know, I don't spend any money in marketing pad. It's all referral based. And I'm like, you're on every single plan. You're writing off yeah. uh, half a million dollars a year. And well, so, uh, let me give you let me give you another example of that. You you say, well, I don't do any marketing, but you pay an extra fifteen thousand dollars a month for a prime location to get walk-ins. So that mm. that's marketing too, right? Like you just pay because yeah. if you got the if you got the stall building, you know, the commercial building behind the you know in the high rise on floor ten where you have no visibility from the road, and you save some money on that, you save fifteen thousand dollars because you're not in that prime location. Now you can go spend it on marketing to get those patients in. I'm not saying one's right, one's wrong. It's just, it's a decision that you have to make. Sure. Absolutely. And there's, it's an allocation of dollars and the, the dollars there, then I'll say to them, I'm like, listen, man, you spend half a million dollars. All right. I'm really direct. <laughs> I'm just like, you're not writing a check. Don't tell me it's free marketing. Cause it's not free. Um, now I'm not the marketing guy, but you know, if the marketing guy was in the room with us is metaphorical marketing guy. Now we have one in the room, Gary bird. And I say, Hey, listen, if we gave you half of that, if we gave you a quarter million dollars, would you be able to replace the, um, the patient flow? I'm not Gary, but I'm guessing he nods his head vigorously, which is <laughs> yeah, what, yeah. So, what he's so doing. That- that actually leads into a great point because so the questions that we always get is like, we get these questions all the time. So in, in what, what road should we go down? So it's like, okay, well, all you have to do is you have to look at what is your cost per lead? So how much is it to generate an opportunity? Mm-hmm. And then what is your cost per acquisition? So how much is it to drive that opportunity through your door in the business world? You probably know this term it's called CAC, right? Like how much is it to get the customer like we look at CAC. So how much does it cost? An for acquisition us to get cost, right? Yeah. Yeah. And so, but in dental, we call it cost per acquisition. Right. And then, and then from there. Well, hold on. So, so let's, let's, let's define this. So we have lead, right? That means somebody calling. Right. Yeah, an opportunity. Practice. Exactly. Right. Okay. And then 
the second one, what the second stage you had was a acquisition. So how much does it to actually get them in? Okay. So here's, here's why. Let me, let me, this is very nuanced, but it's very important to understand. Uh, Otherwise you, you drive off and, and do a ditch. So the average unanswered rate for dental offices right now. So let me do this with your viewers. Okay. Guess, guess what your unanswered call rate is. If your answer is, I don't know, then you're probably at the average or worse. Okay. It's 35%. Now here's what's popping into all their heads. Well, yeah, I know after hours, we don't answer the phone. No, 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 no. It's 35% dental industry average during business hours. Answered? Unanswered. Oh, unanswered. 35% of phone calls in the dental industry on average go unanswered right now. And dentists always go, no, 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 we're good. I know. I listen to Susan. She answers the phone. You don't realize that as she's on the phone, there's two other lines ringing that she's not answering. (laughs) So that means... Let me just break it down because the laws of average. If you spend $10,000 on marketing, $3,500 is going unanswered. That's why I said, like, I don't touch, we don't touch things until we know operationally you can manage them because I know I'm going to lose as a marketing company. I will, mm. I will not be able to be successful. Then from there, the average dental office conversion rate of a marketing patient is around 50%. So if you just take anybody and just slap them on the phones, whether they've been in the dental industry for a long time or not, if they don't have training and trackability for around their KPIs of answering the phone and converting, you're going to be at 50%. So that mm-hmm. means you're losing like 70, 75% of all of your marketing dollars before you get to the door. So that's why I said you need to know how much is it to generate that opportunity and then how much is it to actually drive that person, get that person into your office? I'm picking up what you put down. Okay. So then mm-hmm. from there, so once you have that, so that we measure this meticulously, we have, we have an app that we built that um, took us six years to build because all the practice PMSs is the practice management softwares are horrible to work with and they're very hard to work with. And so it took us six years to build it. We have this tool now that we can actually see the patient journey. And then from there, we want to look at, okay, this patient showed up. How much treatment did they actually get? And then we look at how much treatment they're buying on the first visit, 30-day, 90-day, and then the lifetime, which is rolling. So in the dental industry, is funny because everybody's like, yeah, lifetime value, lifetime value. No one actually knows their lifetime value. They don't ever. It's just just these made-up numbers that people go, yeah, the average person spends 1,200, 1,200 times. All right, all right, our patient stays for 10 years. 12 times 10 years. Do, 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 so this is our lifetime value. <laughs> I, I laugh because I ask this all the time. I'm like, what is the value of a patient? And I, I, no, I've heard everything. And so I'm like, well, here's right. why they don't know. So the dental industry, again, dentists love data. So they have this bottom of funnel data in their practice management softwares, but they don't have top of funnel data. So no one actually knows how many patients are coming from marketing or not nobody the vast majority of people listening right now does mm-hmm. they do not know how many of those if they see 100 new patients how many of those actually came from your marketing efforts and how many came from patient referrals or doctor referrals and if you don't know that then you don't you might be spending all your money and it might be doing nothing and you just might be a great practice right so you're spending all this marketing dollars mm-hmm. and it does nothing let's say it gets zero patients but you're just crushing it with patient referrals. So it feels like it's working because, and here's why this is the tricky part. New patients as a, if you're tracking new patients, marketing is a, a lever and then operations, how you treat the patients is a separate lever. So why do you get a lot of patient referrals or why do I get a lot of referrals? Why do people refer us a lot of clients? It's not because of my marketing. It's because operationally we did a good job for them. When we do marketing, if I go out and like I do this podcast or if I spent money on the marketing ads, that's a separate lever. It has nothing to do with my operations. So dental offices don't actually know which lever to pull or why it's wor- which lever is working. So then they just randomly throw money at marketing. And this is why, again, so many people get frustrated with it is because it didn't do anything. Well, yeah, if you didn't answer half of your phone call, I literally just had a call with somebody. We're two weeks into their marketing, just started with them. And so we onboarded them. We went through the whole process and they emailed me and they said, Gary, it's not working. And I was like, well, in the last two weeks, you had you know, 20 missed calls 
you had another 20 or 25 abandoned calls. So now that's like 50 missed opportunities. And you had a 50%, 50, I think that 56% phone conversion. So yeah, no, you're <laughs> no, you're not going to get new patients with that, right? Like it's impossible. I can't be successful. So it's like, okay, how do we fix this? So then we go in and start actually fixing it because we're measuring it. Like there's, um, this is outside of my swim lane, right? So I'm, I'm an insurance guy. I look at insurance contracts. This takes up all of my time. And it, it's, so how do you fix it? Like, yeah, I don't, yeah, yeah. So you just on measure. a very high level, right? Yeah, very high, high level. level. So you just right. measure it. You have to measure it. You, what you measure, you can manage. If you don't measure something, you cannot manage it. It's not possible. So if you tell your kids, hey, go have good grades, but you never look at their report card, then mm -hmm. they're probably not going to get good grades unless they're super motivated. It doesn't matter how many times you say, get good grades. You have to go look at the report card, look at the classes that they're doing well in, say, good job. And then you have to go and look at the ones that they're struggling in and say, hey, we need to work on these. And then you create an action plan to fix it. So what we do is we just look at it as a patient journey. So we go, okay, we can solve the part from clicking, getting them to the website, getting them to make a phone call or using an online scheduler or something like that, right? We can do that part. We're really good at it. So we know that, hey, and I'm just going to use round numbers. You're a GP office. I can make the phone ring for a hundred bucks. Great. So I'm going to give you a cost per lead of a hundred dollars. And then we're going to look at it and say, okay, let's try to get your cost per acquisition. Again, I'm just using round numbers, $200, right? Great. So now we're at $200 and now we know, okay, to get a patient through the door, it costs us $200. So that way, when you hire an associate and you go, how, how many new patients does this associate want for my GP office? Well, they're going to need 40, 40 a month. Great. Because that, that varies, right? How fast are they? All those kind of things. So you got to kind of figure that out. And how many existing patients are you going to be giving them? And so- Great. They're going to start with 40. Okay. Well, 40 times 200, right? $8,000. So now we know to feed the associate, it's going to be $8,000. Well, how much treatment are they going to buy? It's a good question. First visit, they're buying $500. Now you can just do the quick math and you can then figure out, we also measure the recare rate of these marketing patients. And then you do the quick math and you go, this is well worth it. We can continue to grow or something's broken along that line. And if something's broken, then we have coaches that come in and help fix it wherever it's at. So that's 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 our simple approach to marketing. That doesn't sound simple. That sounds very comprehensive. It, it is complex, but it's as simple as we can make it. We've, well, <laughs> I've, yeah, it's, I mean, it's simple from a protocol, right? Yeah. But it, it's very comprehensive in the approach. Like, are you parachuting people into the practices and... Boise, or are they just like no, doing everything Zoom. remotely? You can do everything with Zoom now. Yeah. Gotcha. Um, so I like it. I dig it. Um, the, so yeah, that what you said about the associates really interesting, actually. Um, because you don't know. It, and again, this is just stuff I hear from clients all the time. Right. So this is just anecdotal. I don't have empirical evidence or like, well, the associates, you know, they're, they're slower. They're, I guess they're technical skills. They're not like a ninja, yeah. like some of the, the, the owner doc. Of course, um, if they were, they wouldn't be working for you. Right. Oh, I would imagine. Um, and so you guys are measuring that and then you're able to see how they're doing in six months is maybe they need more clinical training. Maybe so. So what we can, they might need more clinical or they just might need more bedside manner, right? Like I can't, I can't, measure that per se. What I can measure is, so when, when somebody says, I get this question all the time. So how many new patients should my associate have? Well, it's like, well, it depends how you want to structure it, right? So like, what does your associate want to do? And this is, remember what the rule is, always start at clinical. That's good so rule. if you have a pediatric uh, associate that wants to focus on pedo needs and they can do simple, you know, uh, dentistry like that, and you're trying to give them implants, you're going to have a problem, right? Or vice versa. If you if you have an implant doctor that wants to do implants and you're giving pedo patients, like they're not going to enjoy life. So it's like, first of all, <laughs> what kind of patients do they actually want to see? Like, what are, where's their skill set at? And then from there, how how many of those can they see? So you're already getting a flow of new patients. So give them some of them, watch them, observe them, and then are they going to take on existing patients? Because you have existing patients coming in. So if you load down their schedule with existing patients, they can't see as many new patients. If you give them no existing patients, they can do way more new patients, right? So these little nuances are just things that people overlook 
when building a business. Um, and it's, it's really important that you get clarity on that up front. So as you build your group, you build your office, these are the conversations that you should be having with the associate before you hire them. Like, here's how I'm going to structure this out. I am going to, you want these kind of new patients. I don't really know what your speed's going to be like, those kind of things. Um, so let's, we're going to ease you in. We're going to give you some existing patients or we're going to give you some, some of my new patients and kind of fill it out. And then if you have a turnkey marketing plan, like what I just described to you, then it's easy just to add, turn on the faucet at, give them 20, 30, 40, whatever they may need. And then, and then see how they do and then adjust it the next month. Um, and then you have to do that for every single office, for every single associate, like it becomes a process. Right. And so I can't, I can't answer a lot of those questions because I'm not, I am not skilled enough to explain to a dentist why they should or shouldn't be doing a certain kind of treatment. Oh yeah. I, I don't get clinical either. It's uh, but, um, so, but, but do you, do you see what I'm saying though? Like oh, how yeah. many new patients I, I, absolutely. Do the, should I, I, they see? It's a clinical I, I, question. It's I, I, not a, you're, it's not you're, a marketing you're, question. Yeah. You slam. Yeah. It's a slam dunk answer. That totally makes sense. You know, what are you trying to do? Um, it, let me bridge that into another question that I have for, I've been asking this forever since I started, founded practice quotient. Um, it is, I definitely not the marketing guy. Right. So I, I sit down and I, and I was, I would ask folks, I go, listen, all right, Gary. So you're, you know, you're in, you know, wherever, or, you know, you're in uh, LA. All right, great. How long you've been there? Tell me what's awesome about your practice, you know, da, 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 da. Um, and then, you know, like, well, once we get down the road, because our projects are long, you know, you, I have a lot of conversations. And, so, and I'm like, what type of patients are you looking for? And they're like, I don't know. You know, pe if people with teeth and, and I'm like, yeah, of course. Right. But the, there's gotta be something like that's common yeah. that you are you're pulling people in whether they're they're all people from teachers or they're a different neighborhood or maybe there's some sort of uh ethnic well, or religious thing like yeah. there's there's a core people that you're attracting right because yeah, dentists, maybe i don't dentists don't think that way though because they're technicians so dentists so what i've learned is like tell me what kind of treatment you want to do let's start there right so if you're like i'm i'm an i i want to do all in fours and i live in the the worst part of downtown Chicago, like, Oh, you need to move your office to, you know, <laughs> <laughs> like I can't help with that. Right. Right. So it's like, what kind of treatment we always start with? What kind of treatment do you want to do? Because they don't, they don't, they're not looking at it. So what you just described is like a marketer's brain, right? A marketer's brain is like, where do they live? How much money do they have? What like, we're looking at the, all the demographics and the psychographics and thinking through that. Dentists are looking at the mouth and going, I want to do more of that kind of treatment. So, so the good, the good, the right question to ask them, I think would be, tell me what kind of treatment you want to do. Like if you had the perfect day, what would that look like? Well, I, I would do, you know, uh, let's say they want to do implants or I want to do Invisalign. I love doing Invisalign. Great. And then you start to work out. So now it's like, okay, you want to do Invisalign. Do we have enough? Do we have enough openings on the schedule? To accommodate Invisalign, do we have a process for Invisalign? Like maybe you don't even have a process for it yet. And you have to build that. You have to be thoughtful of that because this is going to be a different, it's called an avatar. There's going to be a different avatar that you're attracting to your office than what you're probably used to. So that means you have to have a different system in how you take care of them. I'll give you a good example of this. So in, in my company, we have single dentists that come to us who are still practicing. We call them in the chair, right? Guess what? They're totally different than the dentists that are not practicing and are out of the chair. To same in product that we provide, how we communicate with them is different. We know that the dentist that is in the chair, they're probably going to say yes faster to working with us. And then they're also going to get mad at us in about 90 days because what's going to happen is, is they're going to put their head down, going to do their work, and then they're going to poke their head up and then they're going to go, that's not right. That's not right. That's not right. And then they go back down and do it 90 days again. It's normal. That's just the name of the game where the dentist who's out of the chair, it has more time. They're going to invest. They're going to meet more often. They're going to come to more of the, the, the trainings and the coachings and the, da, 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 and they're going to be more, they're going to be heavily invested in making sure their front desk is answering the phone properly. Right? Like, so guess what? We're going to have less problems. So we then have to, we have to know this 
and then create systems. And we're not perfect at it, right? We still have mm-hmm. our problems just like everybody. But it's just recognizing that process and then saying, okay, now we want Invisalign. Okay, how are we going to answer the phone for Invisalign? Do we know how to respond to that? Um, do we have the time blocks for that? How are we going to be able to help them? And you just work all the way in. And then marketing is just comes in and supports, right? Just let's provide those opportunities. And then marketing asks the question, okay, where do these Invisalign patients live? How old are they? What do they want? What are they interested in? Do we need to present the whole price of Invisalign or just the monthly the monthly cost? Um, are is it more about time and convenience, or is it more about you know something else? Are we attracting the the new avatar for Invisalign, which is the working woman? That's like the huge growing segment for Invisalign right now. Or are we attracting teenagers, or are we attracting children? Like those are all different avatars, different approaches, different people that we need to speak to. So, mar- but marketing. It's like, don't even waste your time figuring that out from a marketing perspective until you figure out the system side. And then we we help with that as well, but at least from a coaching standpoint. So if you start getting these Invisalign leads and Susan said, yeah, I can answer the phone. I got to figure it out, but she can't. And we look at her conversion rate. Then we come in and help her convert those calls. I think that's awesome. That's amazing. Um, well, John Ray, uh, our producer, is always with me, Monsignor John Ray, the uh dj jazzy jeff on the turntables to my fresh prince and he's uh given us the five minutes so this has been fascinating gary actually i really enjoyed it i'm sure our listeners will um do you have any other like what are you excited about right now right what for 2023 is coming up what are you just bursting at the seams and thrilled to talk about what gets you up in the morning yeah, so 2023 is going to be an interesting year. It's going to be the year of the marketer. So either marketing people, there's going to be two two sides of the coin though. So either marketing people are going to be getting fired and being the hill of certain organizations, or they're going to be the hero of of certain organizations. And the reason I say that is we're entering into an interesting time. So uh, we're uh, there's definitely a pinch on consumers because of inflation. And that's also hit dental offices, right? And increased pay, all that kind of stuff. Uh, people are going to be spending less money. So if you had a pop, a patient base that spent, you know, a million dollars with you last year, that same, if you keep everybody, they're not going to spend a million dollars with you in 2023, right? Like it does, that's just not going to happen because they're going to be um, stretching out their budgets. They're going to be delaying things. So maybe they, instead of doing two fillings, they only do one filling, right? And we'll do the next filling the next time which just stretches that money out, right? And mm-hmm. so, and this is already, the ADA has reports on this, is already starting to happen, right? They've already done surveys, like dentistry is not high on the list of things that people need to take care of, right? Okay, so that means you're gonna make less money as a, as a business, if you're a dental office, you're gonna make less money in 2023. How do you fix that? Well, we fix that by, uh, by attracting more new patients. So then you're gonna say, well, we need to hire more people, and there's actually going to be people for you to hire now. So last year, 2022, it's hard. It was hard to find people. But now people are getting laid off. People are more interested in security now. You're not getting these people hopping from office to office to office anymore because you might not find the job the next time I hop. So people are going to be, there's going to be more people to hire. You're going to have better retention rates. So you're going to be staffed up. So you're going to be making less money and you're going to be fully staffed up. New patients is the next thing that you have to get. And if you don't have a system, like right now, if you don't have a lever that you can pull and know my cost per acquisition is $100, and I know if I spend $1,000, I get 10 patients to walk through the door. If you don't have that built out, it's going to take you a couple months minimum if you pick the right company and if you get everything right. It's going to take two, three months to get that all squared away getting working properly. And that's best case scenario. Worst case scenario is you strike out once or twice and it takes you a year, right? And so... If you don't have that built right now and you go to turn it on, you are either going to go to that marketing person and say, you stink. I'm going to go to the next one. That's the bad side. Or you're going to go to your marketing person and go, turn on the fountain. We need 100 more new patients or whatever. And they're going to deliver. And you're going to be like, you're the best thing ever. We just grew as, uh, through this recession. Or we at least maintained uh, what we did last year. Um, but the goal is to grow. If you can grow... During a reset, if you can figure out how to grow during a recession, you're 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 going to be really set up for success. And here's the interesting thing: most people, most entrepreneurs, especially dentists, 
automatically go, well, if my my money is going to be less in 2023, I should spend, first thing they cut, marketing. Uh, Henry Ford has a famous quote, cutting marketing to grow your business is like uh, uh, taking off your watch to stop time. It's just <laughs> not going to work, right? Now, wrong marketing can hurt you. So cutting wrong marketing that isn't producing anything is a totally right move. But just getting rid of your marketing altogether is just absolutely silly right now. I'm personally, we're doubling down on everything. We're doing double the podcast. We're doing double the events. We're doing double live events. So last year we hosted one event. Next year we're hosting three events. Um, I'm going to be on, last year I was probably on maybe 20 podcasts. This year my goal is to be on 52 podcasts. Like I'm doubling everything, all all my output, because I know it's going to be a down economy. And most marketing companies, guess what? They're not going to double everything. They're going to pull back. And that actually creates an opportunity for me. So um, that's that's my focus for 2023. Awesome. I like you, Gary. I think we're going to be friends. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. Well, I want to bring you on my podcast. So we, I have two dental podcasts. I have Dental Marketing Theory. And then I have, and we don't ever talk about marketing. We just talk about anything that, uh, op- like everything in the dental industry. And I bring on guests. But then I have Dental Riffs. And this one, I, this the Dental Riffs is one I want to bring you on. And we we bring talk about topics uh, that we disagree on. And, uh, we, we, you know, how, how to build a idea. And I have a co-host, his name's Tanner. He actually is from New York. Um, and he started, uh, multiple DSOs had, I think he got up to 15, 20 practices has a very unique perspective. He's not a dentist. He's an operator. Um, mm-hmm. and so we bring in dentist. I want to bring you on and talk about insurance. Uh, we try to get, uh, we had one with all the PMSs, all the cloud-based PMSs had a big show with them. Dad, uh, there you go. Um, how'd that go? It was interesting. Yeah. <laughs> I'm no, going to have to listen to that show, but yeah, I'll be happy to go on, give my perspective. Um, at, at any point, you know, there's typically I already sent a, I already sent an email to my assistant to get you scheduled for that. So, okay, cool. Um, well with that, Gary, this has been uh, really enlightening and I want to thank you for coming on the show. I want to thank uh, Monsignor DJ John Ray, and Lenita will be the one that will organize. And so thank you, Lenita, for putting together uh, my schedule and keeping me on track uh, and Mildred as well. And everybody at PQ, I appreciate y'all um, and everybody out there in listener land. I really appreciate you for listening. Um, thank you for your time. And until next time, this is your host, Patrick O'Rourke. Mm-hmm.